The Illuminati Telegraph. Hey everybody, we are back again in record time. Not two and a half weeks this time, even though we said next week we'd be back. We're back. We're back already in less than a week. So I am way excited about today's epic episode. We've been talking about it for a while. We want to do this, but we got the research done and we're here to do it. Um, I think we really covered the whole thing on Hollow Earth today. We literally covered every single piece of information that exists. Except one. Um, man, I don't even know what to say about today's episode. We just covered it all. I think a one thing, you know, we got some a little Gobekli Tepe, but not really. Not really. That's going to be a different episode. But we're talking about the Hopi Indians. We're talking about the Makutsi. We're talking about some hollow earth theories that were proposed in the 17 and 1800s by a respected scientist that we all know and love. You know, there's recent science about it. And there's ancient stuff that around the globe cultures were telling the same stories, having the same myths and beliefs, beliefs as well as some tribes today about hollow earth and and this and that so we are going to dive right in at either the north or the south pole we're going to enter right into the inner earth of this topic and uh, i think we really wrangled all the horses on this one you know we really milked all the cows we really folded up all the chairs and uh you know we walked all the dogs with this one is what, that's what I'm trying to say. We, we walked all the dogs and cleaned all the kitty litter boxes on this episode. So I really hope you enjoy it. I know we did. It's only an hour and a half. I was hoping to go like three or four hours, you know, but damn, really is a long time. But we got it all in this uh, in this episode. And don't forget to check out our bands. Golgothan just signed to Lacerated Enemy Records. That's Jesse's band, which is badass. So go check them out. They're on Spotify, Gold Gotham. Support them on Bandcamp. Uh, Death of Skepsis, we're, of course, still working on that. It's going to be a while. Um, Son of a Gun record is almost done, but you can listen to those singles up right now. Son of a Gun has uh, Make My Day and Sean Murphy. The mix is okay. That was my first mix. They're going to take those down when the new one comes out because it got remixed. It's going to be a full-length record, so... Once that's done, we can get on with that Alfred record I've been promoting. And with that, I can release the live record I was promoting. So it's all coming down the pipe. And today's episode is coming down the poles, right down the center of that hollow earth. So I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for tuning in. We love y'all. We love y'all. We love y'all. Let's do it. What's my background right now? What is that picture? I don't know. Some art. Okay, I'll leave it. I guess. I'll leave it. What's up, bro? Oh, nothing, man. Just, uh, been just doing yard work. Fucking hot down here in Louisiana. Uh, yeah, it actually feels great up here in Denver. I bet. It feels freaking fan. It feels like a rice festival day, like October in Louisiana. Go to the rice festival, a little breeze, 70, 75. It 100% feels like an August day in Louisiana right now. It's uh, brutal. But I got it done. It's out the way. So I don't have to worry about it later today. 
Yeah, yard work is a bitch down there. Yeah, it's I mean, a, it's a it's a job. But yeah, man, what's up with you? Um, not much. I have just been walking dogs and working and I'm almost done with that son of a gun record and um, that's going really good. That's cool. So I finished, I went through all the songs and applied all my presets that I got on that first heavy mix and that took a while, like a couple days. So then I bounced and then I listened, I went to my car Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy shit, the bass is way too loud. Because on these awesome studio speakers, it still sounds good. But in a car, when the bass is too loud, it's like, you know. Overwhelming. Yeah, you can just really tell. Because there's not as much detail. So, <clears throat> then I I always make this boo-boo where I don't mix with the reference track. I don't go to the reference track until after my first final bounces when I'm ready to hear what I got. And then I compare it. I guess I like to figure it out the hard way, but it would have saved me a lot of time. So the August Burns Red record, Messengers, I, I went with the older one. No way I compete. I can compete with their new stuff, man. That mix is so insane. Under Oath, Five Iron Frenzy, their new records, are they sound so good. So my stuff was way too loud. So that's the good news is that I actually got way too, it was like almost double the volume. Oh, shit. So that's like, um, juice. So now once I bring the bass down, then like my snare is going to cut through the mix better, <clears throat> better because I've still been not really happy with it. Stuff like that, you know. So I just got to yeah. go back through with the reference track and, and tweak again. But almost done with that. And it's it's fire. How many it's songs is fire. it? Nine. Damn, it's a full length album. Yeah, if they don't decide to throw a couple away for whatever reason, because they were talking about that. That one song where the something was out of tune, but I fixed it, and it sounds juicy. I think you're going to like the way... I mean, you already heard it, but it already sounds better, the way the bass and the guitar shred together. It's awesome. Fuck yeah, man. We uh, awesome. Hopefully we'll put our shit out soon. I don't know. Still patiently waiting. Yeah, it's record labels. At the beginning of the year. Like what the fuck, man? This just put mo- out already. Mo money, mo problems, bro. It's not like we got any money from it. <laughs> anyway, we did have a show this past weekend, so that was cool. How'd it go? It was good, man. Um, wasn't as packed as our first show, but down here, stuff with COVID is getting kind of uh, kind of dicey. So, uh, like I know, the night before. Capra had a, the night before we played uh, on Friday night. Capra had a show in Baton Rouge, and they had like fucking six people show up. It's so like no really. Way. In other words, like I think everyone's a little sketched out about COVID around here, so they're not doing like these big ass shows and stuff. It wasn't like yeah. the show we had in June. Um, I mean, we still ended up. I mean, almost a hundred people showed up like towards the end of the night, That's but it good. wasn't like sold out, you know. But uh, it, it was a decent show. Um, mix sounded great the angle was fucking kicking ass like it was dude i love that fucking head nice i fixed that ground loop hum by getting that Furman power conditioner it worked so, oh yeah yeah it's silent it's beautiful okay. super tight super great attack um the sound guy the way he was mixing it the first two bands man like and there's no fault of them but man he had him sounding like shit and you've been to the you remember the mckinley street pub Mm -hmm. 
that's now called the that's where we play it's called the freetown boom boom room now oh okay so this dude is miking the guitars the bass the drums like miking everything in there and you know how small that room is right it's pretty tiny so the first band sounded kind of shitty the second band he ruined and they were touring all the way from maryland he basically ruined their set like the bass was just overwhelmingly loud um it sounded like um, dog shit and the dude had good equipment like the guitars had a fucking full stack soldano like nice shit you know i don't know about what the bass player was playing but she uh her her rig looked good um but man he ruined their fucking set i felt bad for him so when we got up there i was like look dude don't mic i said don't i said the only thing you need to fucking mic just mic the kick mic the toms and the vocals said lead don't don't mic the guitars don't mic the bass so we got 220 watt ingle heads like we don't need you to fucking mic us in this tiny room all right all right he came up to us at the end of the night and he's like man that was the fucking best mix of the whole night and then uh, I kind of was, I was rolling up my shit and I heard Jai talking to him and he was like, yeah, man, it's because they got those those Ingle heads, man. Jesse just got the new one. We sound a lot better than the last time we were here. He's like, yeah, man, I just wish we uh, he, they'd have let me mic uh, mic them because uh, I think I could even got it sounding even better. I just wanted to fucking turn around and smack the dude like, no, motherfucker. The reason the mix sounded good is because we took variables out of the equation that you couldn't fuck up. So anyway, Damn, it was, it was good. But uh Man, because I didn't have the Ingle mic, I had to like turn it up louder than I normally would at practice. And oh my God, it sounds even better. Like when you turn it like loud, it sounded so fucking crisp and just punchy. Like it, it had a way different, I don't know a way to describe it, but it was way different voicing, I guess. And like the loud, like I turned it up past noon for the first time. Wow. And it, and it just really opened it up. I mean, it has a bunch of headroom. It's it was tubes. great, man. Yeah, it's tubes. Okay. Yeah. So it was. Uh, it was great. I really enjoyed. That's it. awesome. Really get to open it up. Yeah. Um, I got to open up my new gym bay recently. I haven't really played it hard, or a lot. And uh, I got this gig at, with some black tie event, and I had to get a suit. And uh, it was DJs, and they were really kick ass, man. The DJs were good, and fucking, I, I played the bongo for like forty five minutes. The not, not the bongo, the gym bay. Sorry, gym bay. Gym bay. And I made a strap for it, so it went around. Dude, it was so much fun, dude. That sounds Opening. fun, man. Just kind of like... Was, yeah, man. Yeah, the DJ was really good, and he played like awesome dance beat, which was much different than the last DJ gig I had. It was like disco music, and it wasn't really a party. It's like an event. So it was just awesome, man, because the beat was building. You know, techno... And the yeah. beat hits. And I was trying to guess the breaks because I didn't know. <laughs> there was no rehearsal. There was no, this is the songs we're playing. It was Imprising. just. Exactly. Um, so I was trying to guess the breaks and stuff. And it was dark and everyone was like dressed up nice. And they had lights and shit. And I was. Because the djembe sounds so cool, man. And I remember this one break where I was like, okay, it's building up. And I was just going. And then. Uh, and then. I was like, it's gonna break right here. And then the music broke and me and the DJ looked at each other and then I hit a rim shot. And it's and it's hard to hit it perfect, like with your knuckles. But I just remember like when the music broke, I hit like that perfect rim shot right on time. And I heard it echo through the room, through the PA, just kang. And then the beat hit. I just remember that one little moment, how fucking awesome that was, dude. It was so cool, man. Like the djembe is fucking awesome. It's my and angle. My Ingle guitar head right yeah. now. 
Is it awesome though when you get in that fucking flow state and yeah. you you almost get goosebumps like when you hit the right note at the right moment? Yeah, like, man. Because like you can easily just yeah, perfect. You can easily mess the note up, and then that moment's gone until the gig comes back around. Yeah, like it may never come back around. It could be two years till so you get another moment like that, and you can hit that note, boom, and it makes all people. The crowd doesn't re- notice like, oh, he didn't fuck it up and shit. They just know that this show is killing it right now. Yeah. But it, it was it's so a, much fun, man. It, it's literally, it's the best feeling in the fucking world, man, when you have that, in my opinion. It's wild, yeah. Why I play music. Yeah, there's nothing like crushing it because you have to prepare and like you capture that moment. It's not guaranteed you're going to crush it. Yeah, I imagine it's like you're doing stand-up now, right? So I imagine it's a lot like when you're killing doing stand-up. Although I don't know if you've had that moment yet, but... Uh, Little ta- little bits and pieces of moments that felt good, but it's. I think it's easier to maintain it with stand up because, like guitars and instruments, you have to, your muscles have to be conditioned. You have to, yeah. You know, like you have to actually be specific with talking. As long as you're comfortable and you remember your idea, like you probably won't fuck it up. There's not like an actual pace. Yeah, I get what you mean. You got so it's a little easier. I don't know. It's nothing like it, though, man. Like, a good music show kicks ass. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's playing live is why I still do it, you know? I really enjoy it. I mean, I like recording and, like, writing, of course. That that has its own reward system, but really nailing the moment live, there's really nothing like it. Especially if, like, a packed house, they're vibing, too, so you and the crowd are both vibing together. Fucking badass, man. Yeah. I'm glad you had that moment. That's awesome. I'm glad you had that moment too, man. Yeah. Um, like I said, I wish the show was a little bit more packed because in June, the June show was like sold out. That was an insane amount of energy, even though I didn't have like the good equipment or whatever. But that was a fucking amazing show. It's just a roar of people like after, like right when we came on and then after every song, it was just a, a roar. So it was really. That was yeah. that was its own thing, but I, we had a lot of fun this last show, and it was still people still went off. But there, like I said, there were only there was awesome. a little less than a hundred versus like having three hundred and fifty with people yeah. standing outside the door. Well, I haven't had that turnout in a while. Starting this new band with my buddy, it's like a slow road to get to the point where you're playing for tons of people. Yeah, it is. It is, and we've been building this since 2013. You know, yeah, been a hot little wow. minute. Yeah, been a hot little minute. So, um, so let's get into it. On today's episode, we're finally doing the big episode, the big Hollow Earth Agartha episode, and I'm really excited. I actually got butterflies in my stomach, and it feels like a music show. Like you know, this is the moment, and we got to crush it. You know, for sure. Well, before we like dive into the specific articles, you want to just kind of uh, briefly talk through, in general, what the Hollow Earth theory is. And uh, when we talk about hollow earth. Yeah, well, hollow earth is basically the belief that the earth is hollow, but not so much absolutely hollow, maybe concentric shells, um, but also tunnels that connect parts of the earth to other parts of the earth. It's believed heavily by Tibetan Buddhists that there are uh, civilizations that live underground. Um, The Dalai Lama is said to have met with one of the, uh, what is it? One of the, 
leaders of this group. I mean, I mean, it's really kind of crazy when you start to yeah crack open the egg. Like, holy but, shit! Yeah, but there's a bunch of different theories about like bunch of in which ways the Earth is hollow, whether it's yeah. concentric rings or whether it's just one big hollow, empty uh, sphere. Whenever you get below a certain mileage of the crust, yeah. Um, there's also but the, in general, but, like the overall overarching theme is that there is the belief is that civiliz early ancient civilizations went underground early to escape catastrophe like floods comets things like that yeah and from that built this extremely advanced civilization that still resides in these tunnels and cities below the earth yeah and, and there are secret passages to enter this hollow earth world uh, in different spots on the earth and there there are different competing theories around that as well mhm mm and like relatively new theories and ancient theories of ancient ancient cultures like the Tibetan Buddhist you know the Hopis the Makuksu will get into some of these yep. but there's also pretty recent stuff that, um, there's also the belief that there's a sun in the center there's a sun that lights up the center and there's you know it's, it's actually a full tropical wildlife of always daylight yep. and the weather's perfect everything's amazing but one that of the most that one's yeah that's a that's an interesting theory uh, I like uh, you know, from the Atlantean Gardens videos, and we'll get more into this, but that guy actually breaks down like some of the science around how light and uh, life could be sustained underground. Yeah. We'll get into so. that. That's uh, we'll get into that for sure. Which that was fascinating, you know. That's fascinating yeah. shit. I he love broke the, down the actual science behind how yeah. it work. So, so let's start with uh, Edmund Haley. Here you go, all the way back. Yeah, and and then we'll work even further back. So Edmund Haley uh, is the is the guy who found Haley's comet and the first to chart the constellations of the entire southern hemisphere. Uh, he was born in 1656, died in 1742. In 1692, based off of some of Isaac Newton's work, according uh, regarding the relative masses and gravitational interactions of the Earth with the Moon. Halley used Isaac Newton's math and was like, hey, this isn't correct. If this is correct, then the Earth should be hollow yeah. by the ratio or the Earth should be smaller. And that's that's Haley. That's not some crack yeah. job. That's that's Haley. We all know Haley. I read some outside of this article. I read some just uh, content around this whole uh, this whole announcement he made. And, uh, you know, through the math that I guess uh, Isaac Newton had done, they uncovered that the moon is actually more dense than the Earth. Yeah, you're talking about um, this article here? The Hollow know, World of Edmund Haley? Maybe, maybe so. I, I don't know. I've bounced around on a bunch of different articles. Okay. This one uh, talks uh, specifics about what you were just mentioning right here in the first paragraph. Jesse, you want to read that first paragraph? Uh, let me, it's small, but yes. 300 years ago in 1692, an article by Edmund Haley proposed that the Earth was hollow. His theory was based on the value of lunar relative density given by Isaac Newton. The first edition of Newton's Principia found that the mass of the moon will be the mass of the Earth as 1 to 26 approximately, citing the relative densities of moon to Earth as 9 to 5 point, is that 5.2? I think the decimal is supposed to be inside the parentheses. So I don't know. Okay. Nine to five, I believe. Nine to five. All right. Anyway, sorry. It's a little small on my end. This value of lunar relative mass was in excess by a factor of three as the true mass ratio one to 81. Arguably the most significant error in 
Prince, Principia's book, The Third, it left an ultra-dense moon circling our Earth. Edmund Haley simply invoked these figures, and he said, Sir Isaac Newton has demonstrated the moon to be more solid than our Earth as 9 to 5. Why may we not suppose four-ninths of our globe to be cavity? It is remarkable that so erroneous a figure, having such unlikely impl implications, could be thus presented without need for further justification. Haley's theory appeared as the first significant deduction to be drawn from the book. Yeah, and this article goes on and on the stuff that is beyond me but that paragraph basically sums it up Haley the man himself did his math and uh, basically was like this isn't um, totally right here and I think it's interesting that growing up in school we know who uh, Newton is and then we know who Haley is he f he found the comet alright moving on they don't talk about how he pushed back and said stuff about hollow earth because he actually went a little bit more specific too in that in that previous article he further postulated that there was indeed an atmosphere within these concentric layers that sustains life and emanations at the poles known as the aurora borealis and australis were energetic emulsions from the inner layered spheres um, he used his theory to explain the existence of more than one magnetic pole and his theory was far ahead of its time so He's saying that there's like concentric layers and they have atmospheres, luminous core. Yeah, the core of the Earth illuminates the, the hollow Earth. And the Aurora Borealis in Australis is believed to be not electromagnetic interactions between space and our magnetic poles, but energy emulsions coming from the poles. And I saw something else about the holes in the ozone layer above the poles. Mm-hmm could be caused uh, it, was, it was in one of those books I think I, I sent you a couple weeks ago it could be caused by like basically a lot of heat and thermonuclear energy coming out of the earth at the poles that just simply pushes the ozone layer apart because that's what you do have in certain areas of the ozone layers certain UV energies or whatever can actually thin out the ozone and you'll have thin and thick patches Hmm. Which is pretty fascinating that there's... Because they don't know otherwise why there's a hole in the ozone at the poles. They're, they're only... We, we don't? I thought, I thought we knew that. Uh, maybe we do. Maybe double check. But from what I understood, there's, that's one of those things that's just still theory. But I could be wrong. could be wrong. Let's see... Ozone hole refers to the appearance of very low values of ozone in the stratosphere. The winter, winter atmosphere above Antarctica is very cold. It occurs typically high over the continent of Antarctica during the southern hemisphere spring. The cold temperatures result in a temperature gradient between the south pole and the southern hemisphere middle latitudes, which results in a strong westerly stratospheric winds that encircle the south pole region. These strong winds, called the polar vortex, prevent warm air from the equator from reaching these polar latitudes these extremely cold temperatures inside the strong winds help to form unique clouds called polar stratospheric clouds or psc um blah 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 chemicals on the surface of the particles composing pscs result in chemical reactions that remove the chlorine from the atmospheric compounds when the sun returns to the 
Antarctic stratosphere in the spring or fall, sunlight splits the chlorine molecules into highly reactive chlorine atoms that rapidly deplete ozone. The depletion is so rapid that it has been termed a hole in the ozone layer. An Arctic ozone hole is rare, but one did develop this spring. The winter of 2019-20 was unusual. The cold temperatures in the northern hemisphere polar region were present all winter long without weather disrupting the circular circulation pattern. Anyway, so yeah, apparently it's a chemical reaction that happens uh, due to a weather event Interesting. that causes uh, the ozone to deplete, but it's apparently not very common and it's not... Yeah, I thought growing up, like we learned that there were always holes in the ozone. Yeah, and it was our fault for burning yeah. gas. I think mean, there was these specific chemicals that it wasn't even burning gas. It was like, I forget what was the... It's like the chemical that's in like hairspray and shit like that. Oh, the like 80s that, killed that the ozone that, layer. That type of aerosol chemical. I don't know what it's called. But that's what we learned in science class growing up. But I did, you know, go to school in Louisiana. So I'm, I'm a real dumbass. Yeah, well, don't ask me. Stuff. I went to a Christian school in Louisiana. They definitely taught six-day creation theory. I don't know nothing. So... I think that's enough on Haley. That's basically yeah. it. I mean, there's a lot more if you want to look more into that, uh, listeners. So next on the line is the Thule Society. And that goes uh, to Germany, which is a little further ahead. But the Thule Society, uh, the Studiengruppe für Germanisches Altertum, the study group for Germanic antiquity. Uh, was a German occultist and Volkish group in Munich, notable chiefly as the organization that sponsored sponsored the Deutsche Arbeiterpartei. Good, which good was, attempt. Good <laughs> attempt, brother. Good attempt, man. <laughs> which was later transformed by Hitler into the Nazi Party. Hitler, however, was never a member of the Thule Society. Hitler also demonized the Thule Society after he took power. Remember how we talked about how ancient cultures will take over the the new god and the new culture after a war and they'll demonize it but rename it? That's basically what he did with the Thule Society. Um, a primary focus of Thule Gesellschaft was a claim concerning the origins of the Aryan race. I think this is fascinating because I've always wondered, like, Aryan, what the fuck is it with blue-eyed yeah. people? Yeah. Thule, Thule was a land located by Greco-Roman geographers in the furthest north. The society was named after Ultima Thule, Latin for most distant north. Mentioned by the Roman poet Virgil in his epic poem Aenid, which was the far northern segment of Thule, and is generally understood to mean Scandinavia. Said by Nazi mystics to be the capital of ancient Hyperborea, they placed Ultima Thule in the extreme north near Greenland or Iceland. The Thulists believed in hollow earth theory. Thule society counted among its goals the desire to prove the Aryan race came from a lost continent, perhaps Atlantis. Hmm. And that's basically what Hitler hijacked. So another another faction of the old world where hollow earth was a, a belief. Yeah, and like you said, uh, after Hitler took over, um, he actually started to execute some of these people that were part of the Thule Society. Yeah, and uh, here, more on Hyperborea, I found this little breakdown of uh, some of the older cultures that 
referenced it. Some Irish culture, some this and that. It's somewhere in here. Goddess Nyx. Hyperborea was said to enjoy sunlight all the time, with the goddess Nyx never bringing darkness. Boreas, the north wind, could not blow his brutal cold into the lands beyond this reach. Um, thought there was a here it is. Aurora Borealis came from. Yeah, there's there's a connection in that name. There's a connection in that name. You know, it's all these connections. So. Thrace is an ancient country that was west of the Black Sea, north of the Aegean Sea. I don't know what that has to do with anything, but I put it in my notes. The Celts, identifying the Rypan Mountains as the Alps, the people to the north were believed to be the Celts. While their lands became well known to the Romans, the vast forest that covered much of their territory gave some credence to the identification, as did the people's reputation for feasting and a love of gold. So I guess that's to do with Hyperborea. Uh, the Britons. Several ancient writers described Hyperborea as an island. The fertile land of southern Britain. Uh, watch descriptions of Hyperborea. And some mentions of a circular altar to Apollo were thought to reference stone circles such as Stonehenge. Mm. The Gauls in the first century AD. Uh, Plutarch specified the Hyperboreans were not Celts in general, but specifically the tribes of Gaul. Remember, we talked about Gaul in the in the Christmas episode, Saturnalia, and then that tied in with that Bible character. Like, I forgot who it was. It was like, holy shit, this guy was a an ancient Celt. <laughs> so that's what that reminds me of. And last, the Masig. I don't know how to say that. Masigatte. Yeah. <laughs> Simeus of Rhodes suggests that Hyperboreans were related to this tribe of nomadic people from Central Asia and North, northern Iran. Herodotus further claimed Hyperboreans lived beyond the lands of these tribes. So, so those are uh, all theories of what what Hyperborea is. Yeah, that's, I don't know what to make of Hyperborea other than that it's connected with Hollow Earth and seems to be the capital and conflated with Greenland and a lot of philosophers and people talked about it and cultures. It was something. It was something. Yeah, and there seems to be that, that connection with Borealis. Yeah, which I love that. I feel like there's something there. I mean, the Aurora Borealis is mind-blowing when you think about it. Just these weird lights in the sky that happen. Yeah. It's, well, it's we like do, something out know, of a fantasy There is world. a scientific explanation on why that happens, and it does not yeah. align with what the hollow earth believe is happening there but yeah it's still fascinating though that that shit definitely can happen it's like real life it's amazing like, looking yeah it just seems like real life is limited to like neon signs and walking down sidewalks and having street lights but just lights in the sky dancing because of electromagnetic magic energy that's fascinating as shit, shit real life go- go somewhere where you can actually get like a good glimpse of the Milky Way. Yeah. Fucking mind-blowing. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a whole lot in this article. I mean, holy shit. The Thule Society is definitely... It was interesting, man. Yeah. And they, you know, they were basing their beliefs off, uh, you know, what was found by Greco-Roman geographers. So, and they made wrestling, and wrestling's like the cornerstone of MMA. So they're 
the smart people. They know their shit. That basically started the UFC. <laughs> the Greeks and the Romans, that's right. So, secret and, Vril Society. This is pretty interesting. The Vril Society. This one I found was a little bit more interesting than the um, the Thule Society. You want to take it away on this one? This Maria Orsic chick who... So what is the Vril Society? The Vril Society was a secret group of women that claimed to have kept their hair long in order to act as antenna to telepathically channel communication with other alien races. The society also believed to have come from an ancient Aryan race and had the belief that the New World Order was unavoidable. The Vril Society, along with the alien race, the Viril... Varilla Renans helped the Nazi party in successful development of the flying saucer. This was done by the use of telepathic communication to extraterrestrial aliens. Um, so that sounds pretty, pretty crazy. Um, but kind of science, uh, just kind of Scientology esque, you know? Yeah. Just but apparently, that you know they this. Uh, Maria Orsic chick that was part of the Royal Society um, met with uh, Adolf Hitler, Heinrich Himmler, Alfred Rosenberg, and Hermann Goering and uh, brought documents containing cryptic transcripts that she claimed came from the solar system Aldebaran, located 68 light years away. The documents uh, that were those two documents were two sets of transcripts. One was theorized to be from the German Templar, Templars, and another was unreadable, but they later determined that it was ancient Sumerian text. So Maria Orsic and her co-leader did their best to translate the text, and both discovered within the text <clears throat> instructions for building a flying saucer that powered an, on an invisible energy source. After their meeting, meeting with the Thule Society in 1920, the Nazi party was formed where Dr. Krohn then created the Thule Nazi flag. Holy and shit, dude. You have a picture of that flag? It's no, right do above, you, It's right do above you, it. Scroll up. Scroll up. There it is. Right there? Yeah, so I think that's... Uh, maybe that's not the flag, but... You look at it; it has kind of like a little swastika on it, with the law, discernment, illumination, and the senses um, in each one of the corners. Look at the all-seeing eye right there in the middle yeah, of the plane of consciousness, thing. air, and fire. Yeah, man, a lot of symbolism in that. This reminds me of oh. our dollar bill and all the symbolism on our dollar bill, and how no one thinks about it. Like, why the yeah, fuck is why the fuck is this there? I mean, it is kind of ritualistic and occultic because everybody has to handle cash. Everyone is going to be subjected to these visuals and these sigils that they put out there just by having it on the cash. I mean, it's so fundamental to making sure it passes into everyone's consciousness. All these signs, the pyramid, the all-seeing eye, you yeah. know, on cash. Like, let me buy my Snickers bar and stop brainwashing me well now we don't even look at the cash anymore because we all use digital currency but but yeah you're right there's a lot of symbolism on our dollar bills and it's really weird when you just sit there and look at it yeah um how the how does the real society connect to the 
hollow earth. So the Vril Society revealed the idea of subterranean matriarchal, the socialist utopia that rule that ruled by the superior beings who mastered mysterious energy known as the Vril Force. The Vril Society believed that this energy source had no limits as it was a cosmic life force energy and was greatly abundant. Um, that's kind of their, uh, did I miss anything in terms of, oh, right above that. The Vril followers believed to have possessed secret knowledge that could enable them to change their race equal to be those like the godlike race living in the Earth's depths. So they also held this belief that the Aryan race came from uh, the society that was cast into the depths of Earth and had been living there for centuries. And that's interesting because on one of the recent episodes we had talked about the Nephilim and how there were the the Giants. fallen yeah. yeah, the fallen extraterrestrials who slept with other flesh, strange flesh, which was basically human females. So they like diluted the bloodline and they were cast into the underworld, which had a name. I forgot. You'd have to go listen to the episode. But it had a name. And they were cast there. So that's that's interesting. That the Thule kind of believed that too. So yeah, did I miss anything on the Vril Society? Wait, Vril Society, yeah. That's who that's what believed it. Uh no. Basically that Maria Orsic chick and her what was that telepathic communication with extraterrestrials that said they came from Aldebaran, Aldebaran and Taurus, sixty eight light years away. And then she wrote out what they said and it was in Sumerian script. Is that what happened? That is insane. Um, and yeah. that get, and that had instructions to flying saucers that were powered by invisible energies. There's a I mean, lot of conspiracies around not the Nazi party having flying saucer technology. Yeah, I mean, what the hell? That's pretty wild because, you know, there's a lot of accounts of people. I mean, I don't know if it's true or not, but, you know, you get into. What's it called? Astral projecting and like yeah. gov government studies of telepathy and. Spend some accounts of people that were super accurate. Consistently. I mean, the Nazis were like way more advanced than the rest of the world in their scientific endeavors, uh, which is why Operation Paperclip went, went down and we took a bunch of their scientists to advance yeah. our technology further. So maybe, you know, well, maybe there is some truth to the fact that maybe they figured out an alternative energy source. And yeah. I, you know, I don't know. And now it's we're fun, seeing it. Fun, fun to think about. Now we're yeah, seeing now it. we're seeing it. Um, although, man, I, I, so I watched this. You, I don't want to derail the conversation, but I watched this UFO show uh, on Showtime. Now, I was telling you about it the other night when we were playing PlayStation, and um, man, it, it it made me think that maybe this whole thing is a this whole a UFO. Um, obsession that the media has lately and from the New York Times article that's put out in 2017 that that is a misdirection by the CIA because there was a whole episode on that and how Roswell was that's probably what happened with Roswell because we were testing this uh, weather balloon technology that was supposed to you know fly at super high altitude so that we could fly it over Russia to collect intel so whenever it crashed in New Mexico, uh, they used the UF, 
UFO um, story to misdirect everyone off of the fact that it was a you know, a balloon that was I don't remember the type of balloon but this super high altitude balloon that they're using to collect intel just so that they didn't know that we were in possession of that type of technology so mm. I thought maybe, it happened the other way around the UFO story got out first and then they covered it up with the balloon story I don't know. I got to go back and look at the timeline of events, but the, the way that this show was uh, laying it out, and this show is like a show about like UFOs are real. So I guess this was the episode where they're trying to say, well, maybe we got to approach this with, with some skepticism. Yeah. Um, well, it is weird that establishment media and government is okay with admitting yeah. UFOs are real. Uh, it could media- be a misdirection that, hey, we have that this type of technology that and they just don't want us to fucking know about it right now. Media Roots did a good episode recently about what it all means, Robbie and Abby Martin, <clears throat> and it's just really interesting. I'm gonna check that out. Yeah. I like Abby Martin. Yeah, she's awesome. And her brother. Dude, that dude's so smart. That dude's so smart. I don't know how he... He has a seven-part series on the history, the Masonic history the history of uh, Masonic history, whatever. And it's like over 20 hours of just him with research. And it's super fascinating. Super, super, super fascinating. But baseball is a Masonic game. American baseball. And he breaks that down. He's not really a conspiracy nut. So for him to come across research that confirms the Masonic origins of baseball is because the pitcher is the accuser. And the person batting is the person defending the accusation. And there's like existential consequences that are played out in game form. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's fucking trippy to think about. As well as the diamond. The field is the shape of the thing. And it's the only sport played in a diamond, not on a flat rectangle field. There's a lot of little things about it. Baseball. America's sport. Yeah, man fucking baseball what's up so, next the Hopi Indians so now we're getting into the ancient stuff yeah the this ancient. is bullshit this is what kind of to me this is what gives you a little credibility to the hollow earth theory that there are so many of these ancient civilizations that have tales linking to um, to a hollow earth yeah and the the cave paintings for the Hopis uh, that's trippy trippy shit. man that's super trippy this right here, you don't have Destiny 2, but this looks like one of the graffitis on the wall that leads to a secret tunnel where you can uh, get bonus prizes. All right, bro, you convinced me. I'm getting Destiny 2 today. We're going to play today. Okay, cool. Um, they have a lot of expansions and stuff, so depending on what campaign you buy, you can get the Legendary Edition, and it has like Forsaken, Shadow Keep, and I'm stuff. I'm trying to spend 60 bucks, bro. Uh, I think um, the new one, Beyond Light, is like twenty four ninety nine right now, huh. and then Shadow Keep is about twenty five. But right, whatever, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. But even if you just get the free version, you'll still be able to play online. But the thing is, since you haven't played, your light level might be low, so you might not be able to join me and Stevo's fire team because we're like way up here, and you might be way down here. Well, so you might you might need some campaign to like unlock things that will be in our game 
So like, I, is there like a single, like, can I play by myself to? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. okay. See, here's the thing. I think we might be able to go to the same planet with each other and just run around. Maybe. But just get a Destiny 2 and, and just get into it. It's fucking awesome, dude. They got a new one coming out. They just came out with the new one and they got a new one coming out. A lot of... Um, all right. Uh, so, I have to get into it. A lot of people I know play it. so It's my pretty friend, conspiracy, my friend too. Brad, my friend Brad plays it, too. It's, it's really conspiracy with ancient stuff, too. It's really interesting. If you have a well, that, keen eye to pick stuff up, it's like, oh, they knew something right here. That's interesting. Obelisks and rituals and Osiris and all these planets and pyramids everywhere. And it's just weird. That's what that, you're just talking about. That's what piqued my interest. So. Yeah, it's pretty cool, though. I mean, it's a fucking awesome game. So the Hopi, the Hopi Indians. The Hopi believed their gods resided in the center of the earth, not in the cosmos. They depicted ant-like men in their petroglyphs. Is this a petroglyph? Am I getting that right? Yeah. Okay, sure. and also flying shields, as they are called. Their belief was also of a great flood at some point, similar to the Sumerian myths and Gilgamesh, and blah, blah, blah. They believe these gods will eventually come back. Taiwa, T-A-O-I-W-A, was the creator he created Satuknang, his nephew. See, these spellings right here are very close to Sanskrit and Cambodian and Thai. So that whole area of the world is culturally close related to the language of like Sumerian stuff. It's very similar in that regard. So Satuknang sounds Thai, like a dude's last name. Yeah. So Thai, Taiwa was the creator created Satuknang, his nephew, and tasked him with creating nine universes or worlds, which is similar also to Zeus and how he created Atlas or Atlas created Zeus and shit in the nine islands. Um, <laughs> one for him and the other seven for the overabundance of life. The mythology tells that story that the first three worlds talk about... Interesting that it talks about it's a cyclical conception of time, similar to the yeah. way Aztec mythology... Uh, and those worlds continue cyclically. But also, didn't the Indian Vedas also? Isn't that a measurement of time yeah. as well? Yeah, the Vedas, how the bull loses a leg each year and then it starts over. Yeah. It's like that global religion repeating itself. Yeah. I just feel like there's got to be something there that all these cultures believe the same things. Like, what were they trying to tell us? But the first three worlds, Takpela, Takpa, and Kuskurza. Takpela, that spelling is like Gobekli Tepe. I know. I thought that immediately you know, when I saw that. It's like from the same Takpela. world. Takpela, Takpa, and yeah. Kuskurza. Kuskurza. That's like Japanese. Takpela, Takpa, and Kuskurza have already been inhabited and subsequently destroyed due to corruption and wickedness of men. The Hopi speak that the end of each cycle is marked by the return of the gods and announced by the appearance of the blue Kachina star. The sign of the day of purification in which the old world is destroyed and a new one begins. Uh, they depicted these underground gods as ant-men and were crucial for their survival. They saw them as hardworking and generous people and they taught them how to survive by teaching them methods of food preservation, which is what Gobekli Tepe seems to be. A big yeah. transfer of knowledge, a big academy of, because uh, that's like the same location and time frame some about some about agriculture. We'll get into that next episode or something. 
According to the Hopi, the first world, Tukpela, was destroyed by fire. The second world, Tukpa, was destroyed by cold, and it didn't say anything about Kuskursa. After the second cataclysm, the Hopi were guided by a cloud in the day and a star at night until they found... (laughs) until they found Anu Simon, the Ant-Man, who led them into underground caves and helped them survive. Anu is also the god in Sumerian culture. So they were guided by a cloud of strange shape and a moving star overnight. Sounds like the story of Jesus, almost. Yeah, the Bethlehem thing. So, yeah. We'll go ahead. Or... There's another story of the guy who got away. He parted the waters and got away. I think there was a period where he was led Moses. by something like that. He was led by a cloud, a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire by night. And he was eventually relieved from not necessarily natural destruction, but was saved. But yeah, anyway. Something like and that. Anu Sinam, which uh, Anum or Anu is actually uh, the creator of creation in Sumerian language. Yeah. So that's Anu. another parallel there. I'm naming my son that if I ever have a son, I'm going to name him Anu. Anu, the creator of creation. Yeah. Anu Crozier. I'm going to name him Satutnang. <laughs> Satutnang. Yeah. That way, yeah. Satuknang, present. Did you see that? The teacher calling it out in class? Louisiana, trying to pronounce that? They get it right uh, in Colorado because they're progressive. Yeah, in now. Louisiana, they would come up with some name like Sock Boy or something. And he hey, Sati. Sati. Sati, you hear? Anyway. Oh, look at the, uh, the FBI spiral pedophile logo <laughs> I don't think uh, I don't think the ancient Hopi were uh, or Hopi were, were, were inscribing pedophilia symbols on their uh, petroglyphs here but that's some crazy looking shit man that's some, that looks like aliens or are there ant men that they're describing yeah I mean these apparently are the ant men that they look, describe in their culture that saved look them look how giant he is yeah, compared to the other beings next to him, so maybe that's depicting them, uh, the giants that we're talking about that, that always coin- coincide with Hollow Earth conspiracies. Yeah, well, what's he carrying? Is that a, like a djembe or a mushroom or or a shovel? I don't know. You know what, man? Graham Hancock talks a lot about that um, in his books. How these ancient petroglyphs and these cave paintings—they they always depict this being carrying like a bag or something like that. And his belief is that it that's the the passing of knowledge from these more advanced beings to to the the people in all these different cultures of the world. And there's there's the same theme that you find in these ancient paintings and petroglyphs all around the world of this. So uh, yeah, may, maybe maybe that's uh, aliens coming from you know other worlds. To, to bestow knowledge upon these civilizations to keep the human race alive, or maybe it's an ancient civilization that's been existing inside the earth for thousands of years that are uh, more advanced in bestowing the knowledge upon them. So it could be a couple of different interpretations of that, but 
I think it's interesting that you see this type of theme in all these ancient uh, paintings, carvings, petroglyphs all all over the place. Anyway. Yeah. If there was a top three of answers, if I could have any answer to any question in the world, that's on that top three. Like what, how'd you word that? Like, do you say, do you rub the, the genie bottle and you go, what does it all mean? Or do you have to get specific and say, what's in their hand? But I would want to know, man, if I had three answers of anything I could know, I would, I would want to know about this shit. It, it is, a, it's really weird that it's, I mean, it's not like these cultures are communicating with each other. They didn't have the technology to do that back then. So the fact that they all depict these scenes is really strange. Yeah. So that's the Hopi. The Hopi, yep. Um, I Also, you didn't really talk about the flying shields. Oh, yeah. I didn't really find much on the flying shields. Do you have something on the flying shields? No, it's just what was in the article. Um, it, in the third cycle, it is said that humanity built a very advanced civilization and developed the concept of flying shields, a sort of vehicle that can quickly travel to different places in the world and devastate entire cities on Earth. The third world was destroyed by Satuknang, the nephew of the creator, with a great flood. Uh, also, in this case, there's a clear parallel with the Sumerian tradition in which we talk about the great flood that destroyed all previous civilization on the planet. This story is told in the Epic of Gilgamesh, a text which was then taken to biblical tradition in the history of the flood and Noah's Ark. According to the traditions of the Hopi, the survivors of the flood are scattered in different parts of the world under the guidance of Masawu, the spirit of death and the master of the fourth world. A fascinating petroglyph of the Hopi is that where Masawu is represented piloting a wingless boat that has the shape of a dome. The similarity between the flying shields and what we today consider as airplanes or flying saucers is mind-boggling. So. Whoa. Yep. Um, and it have that last paragraph. It says it seems that it seems evident that the flying shields or ships without wings are something ancient cultures around the globe witnessed in the distant past. So, this author of this article is also kind of referring to what we were just talking about. This is not the only ancient culture that has um, images of these advanced beings giving them bags or bestowing things to the these civilizations and then also flying saucers or, it's that, or ships flying things basically it's crazy it says the ancient hopi used the term to refer to something that was capable of flying through the skies and transporting people what term are they talking about uh, the symbol, the symbol of a, a boat with wings, or is there like a word that was? I, I don't know. I don't see that. Oh, pato, pa, it's up above. Pato, pato votus. Ah. According to Frank Waters, author of Mystic Mexico, the advent of the sixth world of consciousness. It is in the third world where the ancient Hopi introduced the concept of the pato, pato votus. Or flying shields. Okay. Interesting. Something was going on way back in the day, man. Clearly. Something was going on. Or that, or they have really amazing imaginations. 
Yeah, and then they all coincided and they all accidentally wrote the same stories over. Yeah, it's like how you and a comic across the world like wrote the same joke and didn't realize it. So it would be like if it would be like if multiple unrelated Hollywood studios all wrote the same super complex movie, but independent of each other. Yeah, that's be yeah. like how the fuck did this happen? Or we wrote the same song. Unless they were basing Maybe it, it it's on a few notes off. Yeah, like if you're basing it on truth and history and you're recording your origins and what happened, then all these unrelated factions of the world could write the same story. But it's just so strange, man. And the most fascinating thing is we weren't taught about any of this shit. We were taught that Clint Eastwood came through New Mexico, saved America from the Indians, and built Walmart. We weren't taught about these Native Americans and all this stuff. Hell no. Nope. So let's uh, move on to Shambhala. Yeah, Shambhala. Ancient Buddhism. The capital of the fucking hollow earth. I mean, this is the this is the tits right here. Tibetan Buddhism believed uh, their hollow earth was called Agartha and still Shambhala. Believe, by the way, yeah, still believe, and they fucking the capital basically. The capital of Agartha is basically Shambhala. Shambhala, which means which means what does it mean? A place of peace. Yeah, place of peace. So where the fuck are my notes? Or in Sanskrit, place of tranquility. Place of tranquility. Indian Sanskrit name. Yeah, it was believed. What the fuck? Before Atlantis. Yeah, my notes just are a little uh, confusing. So the land of Shambhala lies in a valley. It is only approachable through a ring of snow peaks like the petals of a lotus. At the center is a nine-story crystal mountain which stands over a sacred lake in a place adorned with lapis, coral, gems, and pearls. Shambhala is a kingdom where humanity's wisdom is spared from the destruction and corruptions of time and history, ready to save the world in its hour of need. The prophecy of Shambhala states that each of its 32 kings will rule for 100 years. As their reigns pass, conditions in the outside world will deteriorate. Men will become obsessed with war and pursue power for its own sake, and materialism will triumph over all spiritual life. Eventually, an evil tyrant will emerge to oppress the earth in a despotic reign of terror. Trump, that was Trump. But just when the world seems on the brink of total downfall and destruction, Queen Kamala and Joe Biden come in. No, it doesn't say that. The mist will lift to reveal the icy mountains of Shambhala. Then the 32nd king of Shambhala, Rudra Cochran, will lead a mighty army against the tyrant and his supporters. That was January 6th. And in a last great battle, they will be destroyed and peace restored. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> um, yeah, so interestingly, the Babylonian hero Gilgamesh visited his ancestor Utnapishtim in the bowels of the earth. In Greek mythology, Orpheus tries to rescue Eurydice from the underground hell. It was believed the pharaohs of Egypt communicated with the underworld, which could be accessed via secret tunnels hidden in the pyramids. And according to the Makuxi Indians, indigenous people, uh, they live in the Amazon, 
They are descendants of the sun's children, the creator of fire and disease, and the protectors of inner earth. And the sun in Sumerian was Ra, and Ra was the sun god or Anu. So it's all kind of connected. I don't know why I have yeah. notes about the Makuxis right here when I know well, it's about this, to be- this. This article, like in the first part of it, really talks about the Makuxi natives. Okay, well, let me just finish that paragraph then. Yeah. Um, the Makuxis say their people are to protect the entrance to the tunnels that lead into Earth. Ones who travel into the Earth say they go for three days down giant 33-inch stairs until they, ab- until they abandon their torches and go deeper with light provided from lanterns the size of watermelons shining bright like the sun. So apparently these tribes and people are still going down there, like tribe leaders, like their grandparents went down there. I mean, this is like relatively recent stuff. Apparently, they go down, they go on these treks into the underworld to meet with these people. Yeah. Buddhists, Buddhists still believe millions of people are currently living in Agartha. Many cultures speak of these lands in our own planet. Uh, one such place referred by Hindu tradition and Tibetan Buddhism is called Shambhala. And um, Shambhala is said to be a hidden kingdom that exists with, inside of our own planet. A magical place which we cannot possibly comprehend and is extremely difficult to find. I want to go there, dude. That's where my spring break is going to be, dude. Good luck, man. Good luck finding it. We're going to Garta. No hangovers in Shambhala. (laughs) Interestingly, according to the Dalai Lama, in a speech he gave in 1985... Although those with special affiliation may actually be able to go there through their karmic connection, nevertheless, nevertheless, it is not a physical place that we can actually find. We can only say that it is a pure land, a pure land in the human realm. And unless one has the merit and the actual karmic association, one cannot actually arrive there. And that's from the Esoteric Codex, Theosophy 1. Hmm. God damn it. The um, Dalai Lama a, shit on my party. Yep. And then you had a uh, Greek philosopher, uh, well, actually, sorry, Manly P. Hall, uh, author and 33rd degree Mason, explained it as before Atlantis sank, its spiritually illuminated initiates who realized that their land was doomed because it had departed from the path of the light withdrew from the ill fated continent. Carrying with them the sacred and secret doctrine, these Atlanteans established themselves in Egypt, where they became its first divine rulers. Nearly all the great cosmological myths forming the foundation of the various sacred books of the world are based upon the Atlantean mystery rituals. Whoa. That's crazy. So basically every culture they're they're saying right here is is some form of the Atlantean mystery. Atlantean mystery ritual. So it's all Atlantean. According to this, yeah. Hmm. According to that historian. This is blowing my mind. I didn't realize there would be so much well-rounded information about something so crazy. It does sound really wacky, really crazy, but it's fun fun to think about. This sounds pretty wacky, too. Located in modern-day Peru. Let me see if I can find it. Oh, yeah, the dark door. So there's theories that, hey, is it maybe an actual place or is it actually a um, door to another dimension, right? What if, what if it exists, but it's not 
in the dimension that we exist within. Yeah, here it is. Yeah, it could be like a meditative state. It could be interdimensional. Yep. Or it in could the, be a physical place. So there's all kind of things. So in modern day Peru, we, we find the gate of the gods at Hayumarca. Um, legends speak that in the distant past, great heroes crossed into the land of the gods, enjoying a prosperous, glorious, immortal life. Um, according to the legend, during the time of the Spanish conquest, an Incan priest called Amaru Muru from the Temple of the Seven Rays fled from his temple with a sacred golden disc known as the Key to the Gods of the Seven Rays. The priest hid in the mountains of Hayu Brand, afraid that the Spanish might take the key from him. Later, the priest arrived at the Gate of the Gods at Hayu Marca, where he showed the key to several priests <clears throat> and shamans of the area. After they had performed a ritual, the door opened with a blue light emanating from it. The priest, Amaru Muru, handed the golden disc to one of the shamans and entered the door. He was never seen again. So then it goes on to you know, postulate that what if, what if Shambhala is in another dimension and that all the, all the ancient cultures that speak of the mythical lands are actually referring to the same place that's just in another dimension that we cannot access today. Yeah, and it's not logically impossible for that to be the case. It is only scientifically impossible for the technology we have today. And only if we assume ancient cultures were dumb hunter-gatherers can we like dismiss that. But maybe they had technology. That's it. That's it. So, That's it. It's not crazy. We almost they, have that technology. Yeah, they had. So there's a... They, ha they, they present some evidence of why they think this could be true. Um... They, they have ancient symbols that they find in areas where they should not be. So depicted in an extremely remote area, sitting atop an arid mountain plateau, causing confusion among those who have been able to observe it directly, is the ancient mandala symbol. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where's that oh, at, that picture? I'll let, that... You, I'll let you read through that part. But Here it is, here it um, is. I have it right here. See, I got this, bro. I got these no, bookmarks ready to rock and roll. Look at this shit, that mandala symbol right there these Nazca lines and these things and these pictures because you can only see this when you're way up in the sky. Yeah. So, now look at that. That's the mandala symbol. And then we go back up and there it is. That's fun. And then we go back down and then we go back up and there it is. That's One more. Back down and then up and there it is. So, what was it about that mandala? So it's, it's considered a, rit a ritual symbol in Indian religions and represents the universe. Today, it's become a generic term used to describe any diagram chart or geometrical pattern that represents the cosmos. The mandala also symbolizes the notion that life is, in fact, a never-ending cycle. Um, but you know, what is it doing in Peru? So the ancient Hindus were among the first people on the planet to use a mandala spiritually, but the most famous mandala most of us know are in fact made by Buddhists. In ancient Sanskrit, mandala means circle, even though the depiction of the symbol may be dominated by a set of squares or triangles. The mandala as a whole is a concentric creation. And then they, uh, they're like, well, is it possible that the symbol located in the vicinity of the gate of the gods indicates that thousands of years ago, ancient cultures were aware of the existence of other dimensional realms like Shambhala? So, yeah, interesting. Yeah. I don't even have anything to say. I mean, what the fuck can I add to that? I don't know. What can I add to it? I mean, it's super interesting evidence. You know what I can add? 
I can add that tattoo to my ass cheek and pay homage to our ancients. There you go, man. That's what we should do after every episode is just get a tattoo to pay homage to our ancients. Dude, after every episode, we're going to run out. If we could break it down and get like the next outline, and then over time, we'll complete the mandala. Sure. But we have to pay homage somehow, right? Yeah. I'll pay homage when I twerk on TikTok. And with a mandala on your asshole. Yeah, they'll probably get your views up if you put some ritual tattoos on your butt cheeks. Maybe so, man. Some sigil. <laughs> it's fucking stupid. All right, Macuxi, let's round it out. The Macuxi. Macuxi. Macuxi, Macuxi. So this is another... Uh, so the Hopi Indians, we covered those. They were in the Sego Canyon of Utah. So that's how... They have a hollow earth theory, but they also have their tunnels, and they're in Utah. And... The Makuxi Indians, I think, are also somewhere around there. So let's but, get into the Makuxi. No, the Indians are actually in the Amazon. Okay, they're very similar to the my dude. My note was this. This was my note. Very similar to Hopi. Basically, read from the article. So <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Take it away, man. I didn't been doing a lot of reading. Yeah, so the Makuxi Indians have always known the Earth is hollow. But the grandparents of the current Makuxi knew of the entrance. Until the 1900s, the young warriors descended to the bottom of the Earth to visit the tall men. For them, obviously, there is a whole world inside our planet, right under our feet. They live in the Amazonia. They are peaceful hunter-gatherers. They are nomadic. They move between Brazil, Guyana, and Venezuela. Their distant ancestors were the children of the sun and have taught them and shown the access to the inner earth. This is wild. These are singing caverns that lead to underground rooms of enormous proportions where the stalagmites form real labyrinths. Okay, so anyway. I mentioned stairs. For those who can find the stairs, there's a way down into the bowels of the planet after two weeks of perilous descent to gain the inner paradise of the shining giants. It goes on to describe what the journey is like um, to the center of the earth. So after the third day, they leave the torches behind and it's illuminated by those watermelon sized lights. On the fifth day, they reach a huge cave uh, whose vaults are lost in the mist. Uh, and one of them, four spheres shine like the sun and no one can face them. Uh, they walk faster and have more strength as each day grows on because apparently the deeper you go, saying that the gravity seems to decrease. Whoa. There's a lava zone that they pass through, skirting the abyss. Um, around the middle of a trip, the warriors seem to lose their weight and are now moving by flying above the ground because gravitational force has disappeared. Um, and then the article says, it seems that the climax of the Earth's gravity is not the Earth core as was believed until now. It would be in the middle of the crust, in the middle of the lava zone, some 250 kilometers deep. After this point begins anti-gravity. Um, there's a, a strong windstorm. There's a strong windstorm that can blow and force them to hold on with all their strength to metal railings that are here for that. So, like, are they saying there's, like, metal railings that have been installed 
so that they don't get blown around by the wind. That's kind of crazy. But after traveling 13 to 15 days, the most valiant warriors lead inside. And there on the other side of the world is the inner earth. Live the tall men about three to four meters tall. They are lovely as long as they are obeyed in all respects. They eat giant fruit, huge wheat grain reminiscent of Osiris's fields. Or Osiris's. They have uh, unknown crops that are supposedly ripening under the indoor sun. Oh, look at that. Uh, oh, but, keep going, keep going, keep going. It could be the it. crystal center that Mobius liked so much. It is a large red star whose light is pure vril. Vril! And has the power to rejuvenate the beings it illuminates. The air is sweet, fragrant, far from the surface pollution. In the words of the Makuxi ancestors, the earth core is full of riches and incredible wonders. It also says that Western explorers, either by trickery or force, previously obtained the plan of the caves. They were five Europeans, two Spanish, and three Englishmen thirst for gold and diamonds found in large quantities there. Needless to say, they were never seen again. Uh, following this unacceptable intrusion, giants would have come out to punish the Makuxi of betraying the secret. They destroyed the entrance, collapsed the singing caverns, mined passages, broke stairs, then no one could enter ever. Well, that's what the Makuxi say to us who are not on the secret. I can imagine they invented the whole story of the missing explorers to prevent further questions about the inner world. The secret of the tall men is definitely sacred to the Makuxi tribesmen. So once again, an ancient culture with stories about advanced giant civilizations that reside within earth that we walk on every day wild wow wild and uh since we got a little extra time here um get into the locations well i was gonna say like we have we know of actual underground cities in like the turkey region that ancient civilizations have actually built that we we can access and walk around as tourists today and one of those is like the darren kuyu yeah which is a giant underground city in turkey that still hasn't been completely uh uncovered yeah they were it was initially thought that um well first of all the way that that ancient cultures is able to create this place is it's it's an area with uh that was part of volcanic volcanic ash deposits so it was softer rock and because of that they were able to carve out rooms from the rock and it started with just storage and underground food lockers um because the subterranean voids maintained constant temperature um, and protected the contents from exposure uh, like extreme weather and stuff like that um also it was thought that it potentially was used to protect the Hittites from attack. We were the uh, was the civilization there at that time, um, which would have been around 15th and 12th century BCE. And they believe they used those tunnels to hide from Phrygian raids. Yeah, and the Phrygians took it over in like 800 BC. Yeah, there is an alternative su- suggestion. The Phrygians uh, first built the tunnels between 8th and century BCE, um, and then the, the discovered Hittite art, artifacts were remnants from the spoils of war. 
Uh, and that theory is reinforced because the reputation of the Phrygians are they're considered to be the best um, architects of the Iron Age. And I think it's interesting that music is named <clears throat> after some of these Phrygian old, mode. It's my favorite mode, man. Why yeah, I? the Phrygian, Ionian, Dorian, Phrygian, Lydian, Mixolydian. Yeah, all that. I think that's interesting how those. I, I would like to find out why those cultures are associated with the modes of music. I'm sure it has to do with uh, well, the discovery of these relationships between notes and things like that. Yeah, it's very Pythagorean. So uh, it's eight floors and 85 meters in depth. The complex has a total of 11 floors, though many floors have not been excavated. They think it could be up to 18 subterranean levels, actually. Wow. So they actually, there's these vents. They have these huge stone circles you can see right here, stone wheels, and they use this to block off the doors, which is very reminiscent of the stone wheel that was blocking off the cave that Jesus was buried in. Yeah. And they're from Turkey. I met a guy at, at that black tie event, and he was from Turkey. His name was Felix. Very nice guy, and he was telling me about you got to go to Turkey and you got to go to the Cappadocia region. And I didn't know at that time, if I would have did my research before then, I would have been like, dude, Darren Kuyu and Gobekli Tepe, because all that's in Turkey. But he was saying how the Mother Mary's Magdalene, her cemetery is in Turkey. Wow. So it's just interesting, these stone wheels going back to those days in that region of the world. And then they use the stone wheel like this to block off the... Jesus' cave. So that's just really interesting. And then they have vents in the roof that they thought were for air, but somehow discovered they were for pouring oil on intruders. I guess that's what they did to intruders. They poured car oil on them and then dumped feathers. And they were like, what is this? And then they ran away. <laughs> they, yeah, I'm sure that's what they did. But they, they talk about how this is... Uh, <clears throat> it went between periods of being used like to actually live in or um, or just use for like food storage and storage in general, uh, depending on who was like the dominant empire at the time. So, uh, you know, these uh, Anatolian people or Turkish people went, you know, in and out of living through in this underground city, depending on if it was like a ruthless uh, empire that was ruling at the time or not. There we go. So did you hear about the other Darren Kuyu they discovered? Uh, no. There's, uh -huh. so I know there's, there's Darren Kuyu is just one of hundreds of underground cities that they know of. Well, and that's, and that's accepted by like mainstream science, like outside of the hollow earth yeah. theory, right? So, um, so in there's an even larger one, apparently. Yeah, this is the one I was getting at uh, in Cappadocia as of 2014. No, that's Gobekli Tepe, but it was found beneath the ne Nevsihir Forest in 2014. Yeah, considered the biggest archaeological find that year. Seven kilometers of tunnels, hidden churches and escape galleries, dates back 5,000 years. It is 11 levels deep and has 600 entrances and many miles of tunnels connecting it to other underground cities. It incorporates areas for sleeping, livestock wells, water tanks, pits for cooking, blah, 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 yada, yada, bathrooms and tubes. Archaeologists believe it is the largest underground city in the world 
and far surpasses Darren Kuyu. Details regarding the dating of the site and how this was carried out have not yet been released by those involved. However, researchers have reported retrieving more than 40 artifacts from the tunnel so far, and they've dated those those back to about 5,000 years. Uh, Numerous other underground cities in Cappadocia have also been dated to this era. Despite pouring 90 million Turkish liras into the urban transformation project so far, the TOKI has said it will move now. It will now move their project to the outskirts. So basically, this new discovery was found because they were tearing down commercial businesses and rebuilding. And the owner of the land probably made a shit ton from the government. And now he moved his businesses to the outskirts, and now they have like a preservation society, the cultural, what is it? There's a name, Cultural National Heritage Preservation Board. It's, man, it's wild that there's all these different underground cities that we yeah. have. This guy says it like this. Hassan Unver, mayor of Nesvahir, said other underground cities in Nesvahir's various districts do not even amount to the, quote, kitchen of this new underground city. And, and they're just finding this. There's like supposedly tunnels under the pyramids too. I didn't even look into those tunnels for this episode. We can cover that at another day though. But these pictures are fucking fascinating. It could accommodate 20,000 to 50,000 people. That is nuts. Dude, that's a lot and of so people. So how are we thinking that, you know, why is it so crazy that we could have a hollow earth? Look at yeah. I mean, we know this is legit. We know this is real. Or just like to to word it maybe a little now, better. How, how did they? How did they? Before we had electricity, because you look at all these photos, they have like cabling run, like stapled to the walls and shit. Yeah. How did they see through all these underground caverns? What about like torches and candles? But you're burning your oxygen if you're lighting fire. Right. So I don't know, man. But light reflection. I think that was. There's this tunnel, and I probably shouldn't talk about it because I don't remember the details, but I learned it from like a Graham Hancock or something like that, one of those little rabbit holes. And the way the tunnel was shaped as you go into the earth in this part, like a cave, was that it it does like this. It was like you're constantly like standing up and then crouching and going through this thing. Because the way it's shaped, it forces air down. It creates hmm. an airflow, so they get air down there. And as far as light, I don't know. Air, light from the earth, hollow earth coming up, and they set up like reflective properties, or, or I don't even know. Maybe you don't even need light once your eyes adjust. Maybe. You know, whenever, whenever you're fucking extraterrestrials from the center of the earth, you probably get supercharged with night vision. So you're like, you know what? I just need, I just, I just need some more agarta booty, so I can see. I got the booty's probably the best booty. Uh, I think I think Earth booty is the best booty because they fucking came here and slept with our women. That's true. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you got a point. That's what that's what Sam Tripoli says. It's hilarious. He says uh, everybody wants to bang Earth chicks. Everybody wants a piece of that Earth chick ass. (laughs) (laughs) He's not wrong. No, I have another bookmark here. Oh. Massive 5,000 year old. I think this is the same. Yeah, Nevsa here province. 
Some 1,500 buildings were destructed, located in and around the Nefsihir Fortress, and the underground city was discovered when the earth moving to construct new buildings had started. So this is like a cartoon depiction of it. Jesus. I love how they depict the people with, like, you know, children, but horses. You can see there's... You can see that, though... All right, so I see how they're doing that. They actually, There's ventilation shafts. There's, yeah. there's two of them right there running vertical all the way up to the top. Okay. Yeah, dude, can you Makes imagine sense. if you fart, like, a really rancid fart, and it just travels through everywhere, and, like... Um, Everyone's Man. like, who the fuck just farted? And you're like, oh, I'm sorry. It, they had to smell horrible down there. On the bottom floor, just ripping where were they? Ones. Where were they shitting and pissing at? They had bathrooms built in here. I don't know how they did it, but look, they had technology back then. Water, central water and shit like that. So I'm sure they had it figured out. Where they, yes. It probably just... Man, that's a good question, dude. That's I mean, question. they had to shit and piss somewhere. And the Phrygians are, you know, well, maybe they didn't shit murder you if you go up to the surface. Then you got to figure it out. You got to shit yeah. somewhere. Well, maybe they ate fruit and plants from Agartha, and like those fruit and it, plants, it was just the perfect amount of nutrients. So yeah, there there's no left waste. Zero waste. Maybe like once a month, you made it to the surface to go drop a deuce, and that was it. Yep. Very minimal byproduct. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't be a, a a podcast if we didn't end it on some uh, if we didn't talk about masks at least once in the podcast. Shit. So today uh, you'll love this. I wait, saw wait. that. Let Let's go finish ahead, this part right here because he, that guy from Turkey was saying how they have cave houses, and this is a picture of it. Houses in Cappadocia, Turkey, built into the caves. Yeah. So those are volcanic ash rock deposits, and that's that's how they were able to carve those like cave yeah. houses out. Yeah. Well, we have a little bit more to cover on those videos. Can we run through that before we end it? Yeah, we can. Okay. So, uh, what's your mask story you wanted to tell me? Oh, none. I just uh, saw in the news today that the Oregon governor is now mandating masks outside. Yeah, yeah. I saw her. Oh, people love her. They're like, thank you for being a fucking leader. You go, girl. Oh, my girl. God. You are so... You are so right. Like, we're never going to get this pandemic under control until we have people wearing masks outside. Oh, doesn't apply to the homeless, though. Mm. <laughs> oh, wow. Amazing. That's weird. That what, what, immediately, what immediately strikes me is growing up, it's always don't talk to strangers and homeless people. They're crazy and that's dangerous. And now at the most dangerous time ever in a pandemic, there's like there's there's no worry it's just weird like now they're not worried about the homeless giving you covid and shit i don't know it's just weird weird double standard yeah it's fucking dumb anyway let's uh let's get through those uh, atlantean uh well that at least that one atlantean video yeah so he was talking about I mean, a lot of the stuff we've already talked about, right? How uh, lots of ancient cultures talk about the hollow earth theory. Um, his take on it was that, you know, it's all these antediluvian civilizations, right? The, the, after the flood that sought refuge in the caves. That's the civilization that is residing within the hollow earth. And he actually goes into how, how could life survive underground? Yeah. Uh, I did not know this, but... Um, apparently, seventy-five percent of the oxygen oxygen in the Earth's atmosphere 
actually comes from uh, marine plants or the algae that we have. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. Yeah. If they, so if they cut down all of the world's trees, we would still be able to breathe oxygen because of the algae that's part of the uh, the Earth's atmosphere. That's going to get us deplatformed and canceled. Yeah, probably so. Oh well. Um, you know, so when you think about how, all right, well, how would that apply on a subterranean level? Because photosynthesis requires sunlight. This guy actually goes into how photosynthesis takes place uh, at like the ocean floor through a chemical process that those microorganisms use to um, convert, you know, convert, uh, basically expel oxygen, right? Um, so, I thought that was really interesting that he's actually providing a scientific basis for how the how this subterranean civilization could be sustained. He talks yeah. about how there's a food supply um, because there's underground rivers and lakes, and these underground rivers and lakes contain algae, and because they contain algae, uh, there's also small animals that feed on algae, right? So uh, there's a food source in that in these underground areas, <clears throat> and then <clears throat> also lichen. So can you pull up a picture of that? Because that shit is cool as fuck. Let me see if I can find. Were you going to get to the thermonuclear vents? You can talk about that. Go for it. Yeah. So the way the way it works is photosynthesis is that uses energy from sunlight, but way below the ocean, they discovered, I believe it was thermonuclear vents that emit hydrogen sulfide, and it produces a chemical reaction that achieves photosynthesis, but it's called chemosynthesis. So that's how light, life can be created and sustained at depths with no sunlight, because you have large creatures at the depths that grow at a faster pace than we know up at the surface. And it's particularly due to chemos chemosynthesis and these thermonuclear vents that put out hydrogen sulfide. So life, supporting life way in the depths of a hollow earth is very possible and we know this while you're finding that i'll just read this uh, william fairfield warren in 1985 wrote the book paradise found the cradle of the human race at the north pole um he thought the Garden of Eden was there, but he equated Atlas, who held the universe on his shoulders or the earth on a pillar, with Plato's Atlas as the first ruler of Atlantis. And then Balgangadhar Tilak, uh, Indian spiritual leader, wrote that the Arctic home in the Vedas, he wrote a book called The Arctic Home in the Vedas in 1898. And he basically talked about Vedic hymns, passages, chronology, and calendars which describe ancient Aryan migrations from the Arctic to Northern Europe and Asia in search of land for new settlements. And so that's lichen. So I'll get into the pygmies after this, but yeah, look at that, man. This light producing. Yeah, I mean, it's possible, right? Yeah. So that's what I was this, thinking. This photo right here in particular, like, look. Is that rocks under a black light or is that self-luminous? Supposed to be self-luminous. Interesting. So I was thinking that the lights that's the size of a watermelon walking down the caves. Yeah, what is that? Maybe they just grow super large lichen in the underworld. They just have one that makes good light and they fucking feed it just like we make really tall plants and shit. They just, yeah. we need lichen and they got a little maintenance guy and a little hat 
it's probably the Grim Reaper, and that's what a Sith is for. He uses it to carve the lichen. And, you know what I mean? That's probably where he comes from. But this interesting thing about the the book Arctic Home in the Vedas, where he talked about um, Aryans during the pre-glacial period, they had to leave due to the ice deluge. He points to certain Vedic hymns, passages, chronology, and calendars, which describe ancient Aryan migrations from the Arctic to the Northern Europe and Asia in search of land for settlements. Um, he dedicated his book to Mueller at Oxford University. Tilak shared his ideas with Mueller before he passed away. All these men shared the view on the Vedic hymns and, and Hollow Earth. But there's also something about the pygmies and the Eskimos. They were called Skralings. Really, really wanted to talk about that. But they were called Skralings. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. I'm getting it right here. All good. I didn't get to that part. So Okay, so yeah, let me just get to that part. So a map published in 1570 by Abraham Ortelius of Amsterdam is called the Theartum Orbis Terrarum and is the first true modern atlas. The North Polar Inset map presents a central continent of Hyperborea in the Arctic region. Many maps from this time are based on books and sources that no longer exist or are extremely rare from like way older periods. Uh, Gerardus Mercator's map was the earliest to display the Arctic drawn from classical and Nordic sources. He was a cartographer and mathematician. His map from the 16th century offered an image. The Arctic as source, blah, blah, blah. This and that. So, the trolls. Eternal snow. He described the mountains of eternal snow, forests without trails, rare, rare animals, roaring rivers, and the abysses of cracks. Strange tribes reside there, and an immeasurably rich forest troll named Mimi has lived there at some points, what this guy said. That made the map. To find the entrance, one must traverse it with a sled harnessed by reindeer. So that's hmm. interesting. Herodotus like, wrote about the legendary Hyperboreus continent, which he said lies in the far north. And then you get into the pygmies, because the pygmies were heavily populated in the northern Canadian and Arctic regions. The four rivers that travel into the center are said to be controlled by heavy magnetic forces that lie along the meridian. My, my map here. Yeah, I see that. Center and the four rivers. And that is Hyperborea and goes into the center of the earth. Sweet. So, the pygmies in Greenland were called skralings, and they were about four feet tall at the most. Skraling is a Norse word for the various native people of the Arctic and New World, including mainland Native American Indians, Dorset people of the islands, and Eskimos who replaced Dorsets in early second millennium. Pygmy derived from the Greek word unit uh, measurement for cubit. So... Basically, what the Scandinavians and people in Greenland had recorded back in the day, way back in the day of interacting with Eskimos and asking where they came from, was that they just pointed north. <laughs> and the Scand and that almost lines up with uh, you know the the theory that the <clears throat> the poles open up, yeah, and that's the entrance to like a, a hollow earth. And they wouldn't think that other people don't know that if they came from there. And then the the Greenlanders. The Icelanders were very confused because to them, it was just the North Pole and it ended. But the Eskimos were seen by these people as like a supernatural people because 
they came from a place that they knew was uninhabitable. And that's all they knew about the Eskimos. And that's all the Eskimos knew about themselves was their lineage. So the Eskimos always just came from the north and, and they're large part pygmies. The thing about the pygmies in this video talked about the pygmies war with cranes because cranes were huge. Yeah. And they were fighting cranes. And this is in their own... Uh, cultural Stories. belief yeah. yeah 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 the crane wars which sound storks is what they were called so they actually had the pygmies actually had to migrate away from the northern region away from the cranes and storks is that how they ended up in africa um that's how they ended up in europe and asia and wherever they are now they're in africa now because they can't explain where they came from there's like this mystery around the pygmies and their trajectory in the human population because it's like they, they just came from the north out of nowhere and that at some point according to their legend they wore with cranes and had to leave and then in real anthropology they're like we don't know what else to think because that's all we know is what their stories tell us and we don't even know where they came from so it's like the mystery matches up with that's their weird, weird answer. because yeah because also you'd think that if they really were from like a nordic area and there was they, they would be white right they yeah be, they would be black super so, dark yeah they're, they're super dark and so sure why because if that, there's why do they have that amount of melanin in their skin you know it's weird super bright sun with 24 hour daylight in the end of earth and they don't grow tall because they're very short because there's no gravity so they just don't grow tall i mean it makes sense what we know physiologically how you would yeah. probably turn out if you grew up in the inner earth fucking weird uh, damn it's yeah strange. man yeah so the, same thing so with the, eskimos like why are the eskimos as dark as they are yeah well they're the pygmies they're like part of it right because they were like strange the, i know man i didn't know the pygmies were probably from the inner earth man what the fuck how they're persecuted where they live wild yeah so last paragraph mattis Suter published a map in 1740 one of the most important and prolific German map publishers of 18th century. It is of Scharoffenland, a land of milk and honey, a German concept of utopia. It was supposedly dropped off outside of his door at his map, sh map shop anonymous anonymously. It is not of any land mass on earth. It's very similar to this map here. This might actually even be the map. I just jacked a screenshot from his video. Uh, so at the bottom right hand of the, of the map, it's not a, of any landmass on Earth. It has writing on it that says the light is the same both day and night on the back mm. of the map. The light is the same both day and night. Um, yeah, in the corner of the map, it says in German, a utopian map of the newly discovered Schlaraffenland. It is widely spoken of but never located. No one knows where it is. This fantasy map is of a kingdom that has all the vices of life. The drawing is of a large mountain with four rivers running into it, similar to Mercator's map. So it's... Uh, Sounds like what the Tibetans believe. Yeah, exactly. And the Germans were in on it. And then we warred the Germans and jacked all their stuff. Isn't this wild, man? It's really crazy, man. And we're just... This is the tip of the iceberg. So we're going to... We have more research to do to come back next week. Yeah. Um, we're going to pick up tip of the iceberg, literally the tip of the iceberg. Yep. That was fun. We made good time. An hour and a half. We got yeah, through man. all that stuff. 
I know. We did well. We did good, man. I, I'm happy I was able to get it done before my parents got here. So awesome. Yeah, man. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed that. I know I enjoyed it. I did. We'll, I had fun. Yeah. We'll talk and figure out what the next topic will be. We'll move into the next thing. I, have, I would uh, like to. I mean, we got those two PDFs you sent uh, by Dr. R.W. Bernard. Bernard. Mm. Um, I did. I already read through those, so we can maybe run through some of that. Yeah, let's do that. And then um, I want to do Go Beckley Tappy since it's relevant. I would too, man. Go go. Blecky Tepe, man, that's a. I think, I think it's an important site, man. I hope yeah, we uncover what what it was really for, um, and yeah. that mainstream science and archaeologists and geologists are open to multiple possibilities there. Yeah, and there's this. I found it through Graham Hancock, and I can't find it anymore. But I need to find it. It's like a seven or five part video series of a professor who broke down the astronomical alignment of vol the vulture stone, the most popular stone at Gobekli Tepe, with the vulture and the sun and all that stuff. And it's with it. fucking awesome. And uh, I hope I can find that because that's That'll definitely be a great need episode. To be yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. So, okay, man. Good hey, man. episode. Thanks for watching and thanks for listening, everybody. Don't forget to check out our bands. Go listen to our band. Check it out. Check it out. The links are in the description. You can just click straight through to Spotify. Sweet. Oh, and then uh, also check out Dylan and I's Twitch streams. That yes, yes, yes. Time. Yeah, Jesse's going to get Destiny and we're going to crush it. Yes. Green Hell was pretty fun. Yeah, Green Hell is pretty fun. Um, I, I played some more last night. How'd sure. that go? I was at work. Oh, it's all good. Uh, it. Uh, I, I've got to the point where I can like build a shelter. I took ayahuasca in the game, so I did. Oh, trip, okay. Trip balls, so that was cool. Okay. Um, maybe, maybe I want to find the entrance to Hollow Earth because it is based in the Amazon, and oh, uh, that's. What, dude. You know, when we think about it. We're talking about the Macruxy Indians. Uh, that's where they live. Maybe, and you know, there's this native tribe that you're trying to find. I think maybe I'm going to end up in the, in the Hollow Earth in Green Hill. Okay. I hope I'm there when you find it. I think so. Uh, I, I wonder if that's the what the tribal person was that killed me. The dude that was creeping with the spear if he was a Makuxi. That motherfucker. It might have been. He's trying to keep you from the entrance of the hollow earth. That's they're what it was. They're protecting the entrance to the inner earth. Exactly. exactly. Cool, man. Uh, let me go and... Uh, I got the parents on the way, so let me go and... All right. Uh, get all ready for them to show up with the baby and everything, so... Give your dad a baseball pat on the butt from me. <laughs> All right. I'll say that's from Dylan. Who? I don't, I've met him like once. He yeah, you wouldn't know who the fuck you are. <laughs> All right, man. All right. I'll see you next week, man. All right. Later, bro. Later, everybody.